one of the biggest things that I love about Embolden is it really is, and you mentioned this word before, and I, I don't mind the word discipline. I know people, like you said, can get tweaky about that. To me, it's an, more of an act of obedience in taking the intentional time to rest and work through things in our own lives. You know, so when we're talking about fear in the beginning, we're, we're really kind of starting from, okay, what is that insecurity? What is that one thing or that's going on right now in this moment of time that is really either taking your eyes off of God and who he says he is, or, or just wreaking havoc on your life and, and however that looks. And so we can start there because I feel like that's the, that's the first component. We need to bring it to light. We need to pray about it, stop hiding it. It's not really hidden from him, but we keep things to ourselves thinking somehow it's going to help the situation. It's only going to make it worse. It's going to give it more power. One of the things that I, I, we say even in the book, and I say a lot of times in my writing, because I don't want to also mislead somebody thinking, oh, well, you know, I do try to do all this too, but I still have some fear and deal with fear. Well, fear is normal. Fear isn't going to go away, but courage can get the final say. And the courage needs to be coming from who Christ says he is and who he says we are. And so I want people to make sure they're paying attention to that because the book sets us up for this intentional pause and reflection time of knowing him better and understanding who he says we are better. And that's what the, that's what the whole purpose is. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Guest Amy Debrick is the founder of the Life on Purpose movement and She is the host of the Life on Purpose podcast. She has also co-authored a book with her young adult daughter, Blair, entitled Embolden. And that is what our conversation is based on today. What does embolden mean? And how can this book, this tool, help us to overcome things that hold us back in life? On the cover of the book is the definition of embolden, to give someone the courage or confidence to do something or behave in a certain way. If you struggle with anxiety, fear, worry, stress, then Embolden is a great resource to engage with. It is a self-help book that will help you find your brave. Amy and Blair have blended together what I would define as a reflective journal with foundational biblical encouragement. It's a softback book that is beautifully saturated uh, with color and images, and it takes you through four weeks of daily simplistic steps that focus on four areas. Week one is fear. Week two is kindness. Week three, temptation. And week four, growth. It is a very thoughtful presentation with regard to the way that it's laid out. It's uncluttered, which I think is so nice if you're dealing with anxiety because it immediately gives you a calm feeling. And the content is easily digestible for both comprehension and engaging the activation steps that uh, they they offer. 
which by the way, I get no financial uh, benefit if you order this book. It's just that I'm in love with the process and the presentation. It's the best tool that I've seen on living out 2 Corinthians 10, 5, which says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So this process of the four weeks of focusing on the specific areas of our lives will equip us to take what we believe, hold it up to Christ's word. And when we do that, we allow God to speak his truths into our beliefs. And because God's truths never fail to overwhelm a lie, we win. And what does that mean for us? We gain the victory over lies that we've believed based on the truths of God's word. We, we gain that victory over them because the truth overwhelms a lie. And that's how we bring our thoughts and beliefs captive to the truth of what God's word says. We believe God's word and we transform our thought life, this running internal dialogue, and we make it obedient changing our belief patterns to the truth. Feel like you need a breakthrough? Want to find your brave? Check out the process that Embolden lays out small incremental steps, which reminds me of Zechariah 4.10. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So small incremental steps. And in no time, you will have dismantled the fear that was keeping you from living out all that God has created you for. As Amy says, fear's normal, but courage can have the last say. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm excited about this conversation. It's so good to have you here. Thank you so much, Sherry. I'm excited to talk to you as well. We're going to shape this conversation around your book, Embolden, that you co-authored with your daughter. And we're going to blend a lot into it, though, because you have loss in your life that exposed an immaturity in your faith. And then you had a cancer diagnosis, which really brought your focus into growing your faith with God, moving from maybe knowledge of God into intimacy with God, but I'll let you define that. And, and so we're going to be looking at fear and anxiety and identity in Christ and how that can shape who we are, how life experiences really impact us. So thank you again. Where, when it comes to immaturity in Christ, I know the experience because you've shared it on your uh, information and it's part of your platform and people can find that out about you, but you lost your son and then your brother um, within the same month. Yes. Within uh, 16 days, actually. Not many people can even stand up under the weight of that, but you sound like you let it expose an immaturity in Christ. But then again, you didn't really come maybe around to that knowledge until 10 years later when you had a cancer diagnosis? Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. I don't think that I even recognized it. I think when you're somebody who is raised as a Christian and always identifies as a believer, I never hated God. I know people have different emotions, which I all are valid and real and mean something when they go through traumatic loss. I didn't have that but I also didn't have the level of faith that I thought I had. And the reason I say that is that I refer to it when I speak about it as a more of an immature faith. I think at that point, I was still, well, I know at that point, I was still kind of riding, I say, on the coattails of my parents. So, you know, I was raised in this Christian home and, uh, and, and that was great, but I never really had that intimate relationship with Christ and I never really knew what it was like. And so when I had those two tragedies happen, 
I was still keeping God in the passenger seat and I was still trying to fix myself. I was trying to get over my grief. I was trying to, you know, my anxiety just skyrocketed out of control and it really produced years and years of that until that cancer diagnosis. And I think it's because I just, I, I, I didn't see it. I didn't understand. I was doing all the right things. And so for the person listening and they may be maybe in the spot right now, or they may have been in this spot before. I was still doing all the things that you would expect someone to do a Christian. I was, I was praying, I was doing different studies. I was doing, I even took medication. I saw a therapist. I mean, all the appropriate and necessary steps to take, to try to overcome this anxiety and, and, and heavy burden that I had. But what I was doing, it was, I was doing it on my own. I wasn't including God in the equation. I wasn't necessarily consciously taking him out, but I also wasn't intentionally including him in. And so that was the shift. Once I received the cancer diagnosis, I was, it was just too much. That was the point in my life where it was, you know, it was, I was at a crossroads and I was just like, God, you take it, you take it all. And so it was that moment of surrender for me. After the fact, I realized, you know, wow, I, I didn't realize how, I don't want to say watered down my faith was up until that point, but how much growing I still had to do. When you're describing that, I think that's pretty general. I don't know if that's the right word. I'm trying to think of the right word as far as describing how we can receive salvation. We can invite God to be the Lord of our life or invite him into our heart, but there's a process, a maturing process where we make him the Lord of our life and we grow in intimacy because I think a lot of people can stay in between the salvation and the intimacy and think we're doing the things because we are checking off all the boxes. We are saying our prayers. We are reading our Bible. We're going to church. We're tithing. It reminds me of the letters in Revelations where I see was it Paul and he wrote to the churches and the Lord was saying, you know, you do these things and you have this to your credit and that's good. And you, you don't tolerate this. That's all wonderful, but you don't love me. So he's saying you're checking all the boxes, but you don't even know me really. You shine a light into the fact that there's more to the steps of faith. These things that we do, all of those things, the salvation, the reading the Bible, the praying, our worshiping, the singing, the corporate worship, going to church, tithing, all of that, the purpose of that is to drive us to the presence of God. And in that presence of God, we get that intimacy. But I think there's also, when you're young, you seem to have the energy to plow through much more than when you get older. I was 40 when I had the cancer diagnosis. I was 26 when my son passed away. And so, um, almost 27. And so I agree with that. I think when you're younger, you just kind of, I don't know if it's just the energy level or you just feel like, you know, you're picking yourself up from the bootstraps or you don't have any other experience to go on, but at 40, it felt different and it felt more. And maybe because I had been living with that anxiety for so many years at that point. And, and again, I went on to have four more children. I mean, if you saw me on the street, you wouldn't know I was laden with this huge burden of fear and anxiety. I was great at saving face to the public. It was a, a private struggle that I had. But at 40, I was ready to give it up. I realized how much I had really lost in my life, not because of those two losses, but because of the fear and anxiety that I kind of let override the purpose that God had for those losses in my life. And so 
it was just really an interesting moment. I I'm always say that I'm very grateful because I wasn't really living until that diagnosis. And I don't take the word cancer, death and grief and all that in a flippant manner in saying that it's just in my life and in my faith walk, it was the, it was the sign that I needed that, that God had to present me with to really get my attention and make a shift. You mentioned that you missed the purposes that God had for you with regard to these deaths, these losses. Well, the purpose, I think, for me was that intimate relationship with Christ and what it really was like to um, stop making myself be the center and focus of my world and, and, and make the shift to him. When you're in it, you don't always see it. And so I think that that's, you know, when I say that, that was the purpose. It wasn't like I... I don't necessarily believe every bad thing. There's like a major purpose. Sometimes God just allows things to happen. I don't necessarily think there's a great purpose. When I'm speaking of purpose, I'm saying specifically the purpose of my own self, getting out of the way of me being the center of my own world and how I can fix things. And, you know, and and I think as women and as moms, it's, it's not that uncommon. We're caretakers We're you know, we're, we we're spinning a lot of plates. That's kind of a role. And, And depending on your personality, like mine, you can take that 12 steps further and feel like you should be getting it all together. And why am I not healing as fast as I should? And, you know, what else can I do? And, and like I said, it's not necessarily I was intentionally taking God out, but I wasn't intentionally making him the center of how can I get through this? That is such a challenge, though, to understand where we stop and he starts, because that's the beauty of our relationship with Christ is that we don't have to focus on ourselves. We can roll everything over to him and let him carry that burden. And then we just listen in to see what he has to say. Where are we to go? What are we to do today? We think we got to do 10 things, but he's only asking us to do one. And that one thing is really all we needed to do anyway. So that's a good point in the sense that it's that's always a challenge. Right. It, it is all of a sudden I catch myself in this place of, of worrying about something or I feel a disconnect with the Lord, I will stop and turn myself to give God worship and to give God praise. And when I take my focus off myself, everything shifts. I do. I will admit, though, it slips into these little phases of where you start tangling with something and you're like, wait a minute, hold on. What am I doing? Right. I could give that to the Lord right now. But would you agree, Sherry, that becomes an intentional practice and, and eventually in an, a habit when we have those other habits of just stewing over it, ruminating, worrying about it and not including him, that's, it's, that's its own habit. So it's a matter of shifting and breaking that. So I love how you kind of say that because it's like, you kind of stop yourself in your tracks, but that's an intentional thing that now you, you know, you need to go to and, and you do. And obviously we don't do it every time and we don't always do it perfectly, but knowing that it's there, it's a great tool and resource now that like, okay, I really know what I need to be doing here. I need to stop overthinking this, whatever the fear is or whatever the situation is and just give it to God. I would use the word discipline. I know that sounds scary. People don't like disciplines. I don't necessarily like disciplines, but it is a habit and it is, it's very beneficial. It really adds a lot of joy, less stress, peace to my life when I put the burden on God. Yeah. I know that we point our children to God the best we can, and we want to grow their faith. But there is a time in their life that it comes where they call out to God himself, and he has to be real for them. What point was that for you? Because if you're like me, you're trying to push through these things. At what point do you say, 
you know what? You got to be real for me. God, I'm tired. I'm tired of this. I was late to the game. I'll be honest, Jerry. <laughs> and I'm trying to make my kids not be in that same position. Um, that's the goal. And, and there's another lesson to take out of that. Really, it was for me, it was after that cancer diagnosis at 40 that I really had to buckle up and, and take ownership of my own relationship and responsibility. And I could have my sister and my brother and, and friends helping me and getting me and doing studies. And, 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 and even though, like I said, and I think this is the hard part for the believer, what, there is a difference between believing and living and being obedient and having that, like you said, as a discipline. And I did all the I don't want to say superficial things, but all of the things you would expect me to do, but really having that personal and intimate relationship, I, honestly, I wouldn't even have been able to tell you what that felt like because I never had it. And so that's what I'm kind of encouraging with my own children now is you're getting to these ages now where my faith isn't going to cover you anymore. You have to take those intentional steps and effort. And it is intentional. We, you know, you have to maybe set the phone down, the scrolling, whatever it is. I mean, my distractions for my generation were different. It doesn't matter what the distraction is. It's just have that, have a stronger foundation is what I'm, what I'm praying for, what I'm trying to encourage them because you don't know what's going to happen in your life. And I just feel like that if I had gotten to the game a little earlier and had that, it doesn't mean I wouldn't have struggled with anxiety or fears, but I think that there is something to be said for the duration maybe, or just picking it up a little bit sooner, understanding what that really meant. You know, a lot of things too with the immature faith is because you don't have that personal relationship, you don't really understand a lot of the other things that people are even referring to. And I was kind of in that space. Like I heard it and I appreciated it, but I didn't really get it because I didn't have it. I didn't really know what the steps were to getting it. And so that was kind of the journey for me and really making that shift in my immature to a more mature. But I agree with you also. I think as I've gotten older, it's easier to pick up more disciplines. You know, I'm 51, so I'm kind of like you. There's more years behind me than probably ahead of me. And those things kind of make you a little bit more intentional as well, which I'm grateful for. But if I can pass that to a generation or two behind me at this point and keep growing. That's my goal right now. And that's a huge goal. I think that's a mama's heart. Once we walk into this recognition of, wow, this is what life's really about. I need to give my children a heads up. I need to get them or at least further down the road than I was when I was their age. And I can make that, um, that connection as well with my own sons. I'm like, I didn't really equip them. Well, I was maturing through my faith. I mean, granted, I get it it becomes their responsibility at a certain age for them to dig into the Lord and for them to grow on a personal level. But I look to see where I fell short in so many areas, maybe because of my background, maybe because of my experiences, but I still feel like I came up short. However, the Lord did tell me one time when I was really talking to him about that. And I, and he said, Sherry, I, you have me to take that stuff to. I cover those things. And so even as uh, the areas or the ways that I may have failed my children, the Lord still says, lay that at my feet. I will take care of that. But I do want to say, you're not late to the game. I was late to the game. I really did not move into intimacy with Christ until my husband passed away. And I was 52 at the time. And I was doing all the right things, going to the church, singing, worshiping, praying, reading. Well, I'm here now in this beautiful 
level of intimacy or growing in my intimacy with Christ. And I, I can't even describe it. There's really, I tell the Lord all the time, you have not given us a vocabulary to describe you accurately for what you do for us and how you love us. Let's move into this fear and anxiety thing, because you wrote a book about that and you co-wrote it with your daughter. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? Sure. So when that first came about, it was really something that Blair, my oldest, was dealing with at the time. She was entering her sophomore year in college and she was just having all kinds of just the normal insecurities, I think that, you know, young adults have at that age. So we were just having all these conversations. I could, I could see myself, my younger self in her. And I think when you see those moments of the things that you don't like about yourself and the things you want your children to avoid, like anxiety and all of that, it was kind of like a, a red flag for me. We just had this conversation and I said, you know, what would you think about creating something for young adults who may be struggling with the same thing? Because she was kind of, I think, felt like she was stuck also between her own insecurities and fears plus not having a resource where she felt like that kind of fit into where she was at that moment. She wasn't looking for a Bible study. She had already done that. Um, And she needed something more than just journaling. She just needed a little guidance. And so that's why we created Embolden specifically for that reason. But, and I mentioned this to you before we started recording, what was interesting about the process though, is that when we started collaborating together and I was really getting her feedback and we'll do this four week study. And what are the main topics would you say are really relevant to your situation and age group? Because at the time it was really, I was trying to gear it for young adults. And so we go through and there's fearless and there's temptation and then there's growth. And, and so we're, we're saying these topics. And then I was like, okay, these things don't age out and kindness. That was our fourth one, kindness. I didn't put that in there. So it was really interesting as we were working through this together. And I'm thinking, although my temptation at my age may look different and mine may be more of a comparison of women, my age and accomplishments and writing, it's a different industry that we're in and everybody uses their own personal, whatever for that. And hers might look like something entirely different. Maybe what's happening with kids her age and maybe they're ahead of where she feels like she should be and, and all this other stuff, the root was the same. There was this underlying fear to either be accepted or who our identity was. And so it really kind of rounded back to, okay, we're all in this together. And if I can offer you a little bit more insight, that's going to be the goal because just like you need to know that your identity is in Christ first, I also, even though I might know that at 51, need to be reminded of that. And so it really was a beautiful experience in that sometimes you think you're doing it for for one thing, one reason or one person, and you realize that God has a whole entire different plan, better plan than you could ever imagine. And that was really how it worked out in the process. Do you think this all comes down to, and this all meaning fear and anxiety, what does it have to do with our identity? I think the fear is just of that unknown. So I think if we find ourselves confident in who Christ says we are, that's the identity connection. You know, I, that's where I feel like it always stems from. It's just that uncertainty or doubt, but if we trust who God says he is and who he made us to be, 
And we apply that every time a fearful situation or an anxiety ridden situation comes up, I think we have a better chance of dissipating that fear, not letting it override the situation. So that's where I have always found the connection is I always feel like there's that underlying and it really goes back to trusting who God says he is in our lives and who he created us to be. And that is a trust thing. And when you don't, you know, when you're not trusting, you're doubtful and fearful. And so that's kind of how I looked at it. Trust is huge. And because when we trust in other things and not God, it still impacts us. Whoever, whatever it is we're choosing to trust in, it impacts us. Whereas trusting in God has been my experience that there is a lot of peace, despite the fact that there is pain and suffering. Just to know you're not alone in the process is huge and helpful. Tell us again, these four areas that are in the book, fear, kindness, temptation, and growth. Those are the four, those are the four things that we kind of break down and offer some scripture around, offer a lot of reflection. One of the biggest things that I love about Embolden is it really is, and you mentioned this word before, and I I don't mind the word discipline. I know people, like you said, can get tweaky about that. To me, it's more of an act of obedience in taking the intentional time to rest and work through things in our own lives. You know, so when we're talking about fear in the beginning, we're, we're really kind of starting from, okay, what is that insecurity? What is that one thing or that's going on right now in this moment of time that is really either taking your eyes off of God and who he says he is, or, or just wreaking havoc on your life and, and however that looks. And so we can start there because I feel like that's the, that's the first component. We need to bring it to light. We need to pray about it, stop hiding it. It's not really hidden from him, but we keep things to ourselves thinking somehow it's going to help the situation. It's only going to make it worse. It's going to give it more power. One of the things that I, I, we say even in the book, and I say a lot of times in my writing, because I don't want to also mislead somebody thinking, oh, well, you know, I do try to do all this too, but I still have some fear and deal with fear. Well, fear is normal. Fear isn't going to go away, but courage can get the final say. And the courage needs to be coming from who Christ says he is and who he says we are. And so I want people to make sure they're paying attention to that because the book sets us up for this intentional pause and reflection time of knowing him better and understanding who he says we are better. And that's what the, that's what the whole purpose is. That pain of being separated from that, which we hold near and dear comes in waves and, but God heals in layers. So each time it comes up again, it's not that you haven't been healed, but there's just more healing to be had. And you use this example of isolating an issue and sorting through it with God. That strikes me as a very powerful, but to rest, to stop, to slow down, that's going to be very challenging for people. Do you have any suggestions on how someone might be able to do that? Well, I mean, you're right. It's not an easy feat, especially when you are in the thick of anxiety. And I'm, I'm talking out of experience. Your mind is in constant motion. You're on that hamster wheel because it, it's scarier to slow down and have to deal with it. So I always say to start with five minutes. I think a lot of times too, we overwhelm ourselves with some of these practices or things that even though they're great for us. Sometimes when you are that person who is in the thick of something that you're really struggling with, and you're having a hard time settling down your, your, your brain and your heart, and even your body, 
do it in a, in a reasonable time frame. whether it's five minutes walking outside, getting some fresh air, don't overthink it. I think a lot of times that's, we do ourselves a bigger disservice because we think it needs to look a certain way. It could be simply walking outside for five minutes in nature, not having a Bible, not having a study and just praising God, taking 10 deep breaths. And maybe that's all you can do today and, and, and recognize that as something positive, something good, something powerful that he's going to keep working through you. And then maybe every day you can add or every week you can add minutes to that. And then it becomes a little bit more of a doable and regular practice that you realize, okay, after that five minutes, I do feel a little bit better because I know realistically from somebody who struggled for a long time, it is not easy to do. That's why I say do things that are actually going to be reasonable. And also having said that, don't discount the good of five minutes. Don't think that just because, and this is where as adults, I think more so than younger adults, this is the comparison. Even in things like this, like you said, even when it comes to grief, okay, well, I, I lost a son and, and my brother, you lost a husband. So sometimes people, even without us asking, make a comparison. Oh, well, I only lost my job. I only lost okay, it's still a grieving process. There's no comparison. I'm not making a comparison. You're not making a comparison, but it's something we do. We put it on ourselves. And so the same thing in, in, in regarding our healing process, don't discount the small wins that you're taking, the small steps that you're taking towards your health and in your relationship with Christ. And don't pigeonhole it to think that it needs to look like a devotional or a Bible study or this or that. Like I said, it could be walking out of your front door, taking deep breaths and just praising God for five minutes. And that's it. And that's all you're capable of. And, and consider that a win. Do not despise small beginnings. Right. And plus two, we give God five minutes and the return on that is like the fishes and loaves, right? We give him our meager five minutes or what we term as a meager five minutes. And then he turns it into a day of peace or a day of joy, despite our circumstance. I agree with you that there is value in turning our attention to God. And even when you fall off the quiet practice or those five minutes with God, once you taste what that does for you, you'll know where to go back when things get a little crazy for you. I need to get back because I can see the chaos starting. I can see the fear starting. I feel it. And now I need to go back and get rooted again in his presence. Yeah. It's like muscle memory. True. So we look at the four parts of the book emboldened fear, kindness, growth, temptation. I don't know if I have them in order, but let's talk a little bit about each one. Tell me, what do people need to know about fear and who God is? Mm. Well, I think fear, like we were just talking about, I think a lot of us are burdened by fear to some degree, maybe not as debilitating as a, another person, but there's a lot of things that come up, whether it's with our, our children, with our health, our careers, whatever it is, there's a lot to be fearful of if we let it. We just, there's just has to be that, again, going back to scripture and remembering that we don't need to fear. God's already overcome the world and we need to keep that as our main focus. And so in the book, we just have some scripture around that to bring people back around and again, work through their fear, address it, give it a name, speak it out and give it less power, give it over to God. Maybe that's the first time that they're doing that. And so we allow that 
empty space, that white space to be able to do it. Because like you said, and we said earlier, it's hard to calm your brain down. It's hard to sit down. This is kind of like almost forcing you in a nice way to be able to do that because there's a lot of reflection. There's some questions you have to answer, not deep or long questionnaires, but a couple prompts that make you have to think and actually answer to yourself, okay, this is actually what's going on here. And then we just kind of move into kindness, not only to kindness that we put out to others. And I don't know if you would agree with this, but the more things I have experienced now at 51 in my life, the kinder I am to not only myself, but to the people around me, I appreciate a good delivery, like we were saying of certain words and and tones and, and there's a, a greater understanding, I think, and what we're putting out and also how we receive things from people. And so I wanted that to be something, especially again, starting with a younger age group where kids can be kind of harder on each other, but you know, Adults can be the same thing. Sometimes you can be just as offended with a delivery of an adult that you care about who doesn't have a great tone and isn't paying attention. And so at the very least, I think the kindness section in the book, in addition to offering grace and receiving it, is the awareness, the self-awareness piece and paying attention to what we're saying and how we're saying it and what we're doing and how we're doing it. Then we really kind of move in to temptation, which temptation is an easy one. We're all tempted by various things. They don't have to necessarily be horrible things, but the idea with temptation is anytime that it's something that's maybe becoming an accidental idol in our life, we've all been there. You you look something up on your phone for five minutes, next thing you know, it's 45 minutes later. And then you don't have time to do something, you know, to read your Bible or to whatever. Again, all these steps are really kind of self-awareness. Where am I putting my time? Why might this maybe be playing into my fear and anxiety? Maybe I need to remove this. It's it's reflection. Is there certain things in here that are life-giving? Okay, great. Are there certain things in here that are life draining? Okay, maybe I need to remove these things because these are just regular temptations and how am I gonna go about doing that? And then the last is growth. I think that we all wanna grow. We all wanna be stronger Christians, better humans in general, better parents, whatever the case is, but how do we do that? And so we just offer very practical, simple steps, like I was saying, offer yourself reasonable goals and not these overwhelming expectations or what the next person is doing. A lot of times we also, we identify growth as things that are already laid out that maybe a friend has done and it's worked for them. Well, not everything works the same for everybody. So it's a matter of going back to our own priorities in our life. What are those? Identifying those. And then starting with those, chipping those off and, okay, how can we spend the time and energy to really foster growth in this area? And it may be something very simple. It may be, you know, maybe you want better communication. Okay. Well then maybe we need to stop texting the person that we want a better relationship with and pick up the phone and make an intentional phone call or drive over. We have made it very easy in this society now to never actually have to go face to face or communicate, but then we're always feeling left disappointed with how the communication is either because we're trying to interpret a text or a tone through a text rather than just take the effort 
of maybe calling somebody up and or driving over and actually having an intimate relationship. And again, it goes back to intention. Where are we putting our efforts and how we can shift to put them in the right way with the right perspective? So good. A minute ago, when you were talking about fear, I, this may sound a little, I don't know, wimpy, because when they said it to me, I was like, really? But I began this little practice of when I get anxious about something, or I find myself in the pantry again, nibbling on something else. I'm like, what am I doing back in here? So I, I pause and I ask my heart and I, I, I named my heart, little heart. So I'm like, little heart, what's wrong? Like, what are you looking for? What are you mm. need right now that you think you're going to find in this pantry? Because it's not here in this pantry, but what is it? That's been very powerful for me. Mm. Who thought talking to your heart would have made a difference? I did not make that connection, but it has made a big difference for me lately. You also mentioned something about discerning what your priorities were. Is there a tip you can give somebody for determining what their priorities were? Because I think sometimes that can be overwhelming for people. The biggest tip that I, I always say in, in making that list, if you will, is like I said before, write down what are the things maybe that you're doing right now, and then put a check next to them. Are these maybe a blue check for life giving or life draining? I think a lot of times we're, we are involved in a lot of things, but when we break it down, we realize this is not adding value in, in my, my life, in my family's life, in my stress level. And I think sometimes we need to see those in front of us and really to discern which are the things that we need to prioritize in letting go of and which we need to pick up more. And sometimes it's not until we have that. It's not a hard practice, but it's a matter of, you know, write everything down that you're involved in at the moment. And then also what are the spaces where you are hoping to be, you know, involved in or more engaged in or whatever the case is. But the best way for me has always been, okay, what are the things that I need to really prune? Because I can't really engage more in those other things until I prune away the things that have been life draining. And sometimes they're the things that you don't recognize. They could be just a relationship with a friend that you realize, you know, this is just too much. Like it's just too much time. It's just too much effort. It's just not a healthy relationship. Some things might surprise you and other things. Sometimes I always say it's just a simple practice. I say simple because as women, it's not simple. But of saying, no, I hate letting people down. I'm more of a yes person, but I will reluctantly and grumbly complete the task, even though I should have just been honest with myself because I think I'm capable. So I think I just should do it because I'm capable of doing it. But if I don't think it's going to benefit my family, my time of what are the other things that are a priority then I just need to learn how to say no. It's not really doing the person any good other than maybe I'll follow through, of course, but grumbling and doing something also is not a good reason to do it just because you're capable. And so I think there's those things too that you'll find in there when you start making that list on what do I just maybe sign up for because I, or say yes to that maybe I need to start saying no to. Yeah, because sometimes I even say yes, because I don't think my no is good enough. Go figure. Maybe I need to ask little heart, what's going on? <laughs> so just a little bit to recap the four parts of your book, Embolden, the fear component. How does that, how does that lock us down, keep us from 
finding our full expression or drawing close to God. For me, always went back to a control issue. We can love God. We can trust God. We can know all the right things to do. But when we still want that one hand on the wheel and not totally let go of the control, I think that's where we get stuck. We get stuck in in our own head. We can't get out of our own way because we're still riding the yellow line and uh, we just need to stay in our lane and let God stay in his lane. For me, it was always a control control issue for sure. And that makes sense because we're a people of five senses and God doesn't penalize us for that. He created us that way, but it seems to be the go-to, the default. And so for me, when I start working in that way, separate from God's input, I am in control. And I think at my age, especially, I have realized control is an absolute illusion. There is no control except that God has that control. And then we look at temptation. What are the, some of the ways that temptation draws us away from God? Mm. Well, I think temptation draws us away from God because those are things that I think accidentally, I always like to say that because I don't think people intentionally are trying to draw themselves away from God, but we spend time on these things that become regular temptations. And, you know, I brought up earlier, whether it's social media, whether it's, even if it's reading books, anything that's outside of, or maybe it's fitness, maybe it's our diet, whatever is consuming us on a level where we can't prioritize him becomes a temptation that we really need to address and kind of get a handle on. And I think the one thing about the book is, is being intentional and and making those lists, drawing that line in the sand and, and really recognizing are these things helpful? Are these helping my relationship with Christ or are they taking away from it and kind of starting there? Even serving the church. I'm doing it for the Lord. (laughs) Yeah. So even that is out of balance to having that personal intimate relationship with God. And then what was next? Kindness? Kindness. Yeah. Kindness is a big one. I think, you know, because we can be very ugly to ourselves, not kind to ourselves, but kind to everyone else. But I think it's important that we even evaluate our internal dialogue, our internal conversation, because most of the stuff we say to ourselves, we would not say to us as a young child, nor would God say to us. Right. Well, and I, you're absolutely right. I think we are hardest on ourselves, but I also think I have found over the years in part of my growing process in kindness. And I see this as the difference between like my young adult children and me at my age now is that when you recognize who God says you are and you learn how to be kind And when I say learn how, it's not that I wasn't kind before that, but I had different expectations of what kindness was. And so if I had the wrong priorities, you could have the wrong priority. You could still be kind and and do it in the wrong way. And so I would do things sometimes and they weren't really for them. They would be for me. And you want some kind of gratitude and fulfillment with that. And that was an issue that I had to address. But even now with things where, I'm offering or extending kindness to somebody else. I've lowered, actually, I haven't even lowered. I, I don't have an expectation now of what 
I'm going to receive back from that. And that was a growth shift in me. And that's something I'm trying to really stress more with my kids is that sometimes when we are being kind and we, when we are doing it the right way, not when we're doing it the wrong way, but when we know we've done it the right way, we've done it with empathy, we've done it with love. Um, our delivery was, we, we paid attention before we said or did something and it isn't received how we wanted or we expected it to be received. We're disappointed, we're hurt, we're angry, we're put off. I stopped doing that. Things can still be annoying, you know, if you feel like somebody's blatantly just being, you know, not nice, but it doesn't wreck me like it used to, or I'm overthinking it forever or a few, few days or ruminating another conversation in my head or whatever the case may be. I've kind of just been able to say, you know, if I know who God says I am and I'm doing these things in the right way and they're not being received in that way, that's not on me. And I have to be okay with that. That's an insecurity that they have to deal with. And that's an issue between them and God, not me and God. And I need to not take it personal. And I'm trying to tell my kids the same thing. You know, as long as you are paying attention and having some self-awareness, doing what you're supposed to be doing, then I think you're less inclined to be broken by somebody else's words and actions when they don't measure up. Because who are we kidding? We're all human. Half of the time, people are going to actually meet our expectations and half of the time they're not. And so it's a matter of where you're positioned in that process before you get any kind of anything back. That's really flipping the script on the world's value system. And what a power play for your benefit as far as removing that sort of expectation, because we are a people of expectation. We attach expectations to stuff all the time. So that's quite the challenge. One of the things that I would have told my younger self, I have like three and now I can only think of one because it pertains to what you're sharing. But I would have told my younger self that people respond to you based on who they are and their experiences. They are looking at you through the lens of what they know in their life and to not take that personally. What's something, one, two, three things that you would have told your younger self? Mm. Well, that at the top, because I don't think you really have a great understanding of that when you're young. And I think that's just comes with age and and wisdom and experience. I would say also, like I had said, just um, make sure you're doing things for the right reasons. Like I said, for years, I would do, you know, I like to cook. I'll give you an example. So I like to bake. I like to cook. And so sometimes for friends, I would bring things over. Well, there were a couple instances um, where my one friend who has MS, I had reached out, Hey, you know, you know, I'll bring something over. And she was like, thank you, but I don't need anything. And, you know, I just kind of plowed my way through and made something anyway and thought this is great. And really it became less about her and more Mm. about me. And Mm. I think we have to do a self-check there. And so it was a lesson that I kind of had to learn. She, she of course didn't scold me on it, but it was something that I had to realize, you know, for whatever reason, she wasn't necessarily, she didn't, was rejecting the food, but maybe she just needed some space. Maybe she just wasn't up for it. Whatever the case was, it wasn't about me. And so I think that that's a huge life lesson is that remembering what is the why behind what we're doing and saying. And uh, sometimes that's a humbling experience in and of itself. Figuring out your why for whatever area you need to figure that out, whether it is your personal why in life or your why 
on your job search or getting married or having a family, how to raise them. Three-letter word, extremely powerful. There's a lot of self-reflection that I feel that's needed here. That pause that you talk about in your book, the searching the inner you know, questions of the inner heart, the growing in intimacy with Christ. And that does take people, it does challenge people to slow down, which is a huge challenge today in today's society is finding quiet time, finding intentional time. How does this speak to the portion of the book about growth? What is it about growth? Here. It's interesting because I we are in a, an interesting place right now in society. And I think we are busy. It doesn't feel like we have a lot of time to do things. But when I see the amount of time, though, that we actually waste, I shouldn't say waste. Some things, I mean, are pleasurable and, and we can spend a few minutes of time on certain things. I think it's just a matter of the growth component is finding those spaces, like I said, that are these really life-giving to my, to my life, to my faith walk? And how much time am I spending on them? And, and if the answers aren't really aligning with what your goals are, then we need to do some pruning. We need to do some shifting. So it's really kind of, we have more time than we make for the things that we want to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. We just aren't applying them always. And sometimes I think it's just a matter of, like I said, not like we're, that's what our goal is. Well, I'm purposely not going to do this. I, I don't believe that at all for a minute, but I think it's until we take that time to pause, really sit down and reflect on what our goals and priorities are and where our time is, is getting spent. That's where the growth comes from because we have to do something with that information. I mean, we could do it. You could check all the boxes and do, and do all the reflection, but if you don't do anything with it, then there's no growth there. It's the action component of what the reflection things are coming back and and what you're going to do with that, where the growth is offered in the book. So we, yes, we, we do have those things in there, but it really, you have to take ownership. You have to take the self-awareness and decide, okay, I, I know this now about myself. I know where things should be pruned. I know where my temptations lie. I know what the root of my fear is. What are you going to do with it? So that's really an individual um, journey, an individual process. And that's where the intimacy comes into place because I can't do it for you. You can't do it for somebody else. I can lead you there, but you have to make the intentional action for your own growth when it comes to it. Such power packed in this book to live an independent life, but it does require us to take responsibility for our areas. And I think discipline and responsibility fall in the same category as rest and submission. (laughs) They aren't warm words. Maybe uh, ownership is a better word in that regard. I hate the fact that those words would put a wall up for people and they wouldn't seek any further because on the other side of that is such incredible freedom to walk in authority in your life. You are a confidence coach. Mm -hmm. As a confidence coach, and I love that, confidence, we can be coached into confidence. What's something that people need to know as we we get ready to close out? What's something you do not want to forget to share? I might have mentioned this in the conversation that we've had, but I think it's really important to remember that fear is normal, that we're all going to face it. We're all going to go through it. There's no shame in that. Everybody's process journey looks different. Some is longer, some is shorter, but courage can get the final say. Encourage really is just a matter of 
putting these things into practice, like we're saying, and it, there's no timetable. There's no comparison to you. Yours, your story needs to look like somebody else's, but you can get that same level of courage by following what you know about yourself. What's the best for your life? Who Christ says you are and believing it and trusting it. Because I agree with you, Sherry, there is the, the biggest thing in my life that has changed is knowing the freedom in surrendering everything to God. And so if people can understand what that looks like, and maybe they need to go through a process to get to that point. But once you get there, there's no looking back. It's a beautiful place to be. It's where God, in my opinion, my experience, it's where God carries the burden and we get the joy of discovering who we truly are, who we are in him when he knit us together in our mother's womb and he created us in his image. What does that mean? That's what we get to discover when he carries the burden and we get in there and engage him and talk to him about our struggles and our pain. And he brings healing into these areas that this world leaves marks on us and trauma on us. But then he comes in in power and authority and rewrites that, repurposes it because he wastes nothing. That's been my experience here. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. I'm going to go get two of those books for my daughter-in-laws because I would love for them to walk in that kind of authority and to discover these areas of life where they can take ownership of and grow in these areas into a place of, of beauty. I, I struggle to, to describe it any other way of beauty. Thank you so much, Amy, for your time today, your knowledge, your information. You're very generous. You're full of grace. And I deeply appreciate that. And I look forward to following you on Instagram and Facebook. Those are the two social medias that I'm on. Oh, well, thank you, Sherry. This has been a great conversation. It has been a privilege to be on your show to, to answer these questions, to talk things out with you. I think we're connected in a lot of ways, a lot of like-minded thinking here. And so it was really my honor. Thank you. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.